John chapter 10 and verse 10 says these words, The thief cometh not for, for, for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I, Jesus said, am come that they might have life and that, and that they might have it more abundantly. Uh, very appropriate scripture when dealing with suicide. What's wrong? You want me to have a mic on? I'll put the mic on. Keys it works. Uh, when dealing with suicide, you're dealing with somebody who has figured they don't have life. <clears throat> and they don't realize it, but the battle that's going on inside of their heart is a spiritual battle. Uh, I think most of our uh, battles today are spiritual. We um, have the idea that, uh, we have the idea that, um, you know, it's all just debt problems and people problems and, and government problems when really it's a sin problem, it's the devil problem, and it's the flesh. So when the thief comes, when he works in your life, he's trying to rob you, trying to kill you, and not just, I mean, it's one thing to try to kill somebody, it's another thing to try to destroy. See, the devil likes to destroy this church. The devil just doesn't want to take you out of your family. He wants to destroy your family. He doesn't want to just rob you of your joy and your rest. He wants to ruin everything about your life. That's what gives him his jollies. So we're focusing on suicide. Now when we talk about suicide, as I said last week, suicide is the act of deliberately killing oneself. That's a very cold definition. I mean, it's just... It's just, you know, it's not, it's not one of those things you want to just delve into and try to understand the meaning of a word. I mean, the word is just too, too stark. And, and if you try to understand what somebody's doing when they're trying to commit suicide, you'll never understand it. It never can make sense. There's not one plus one equals death. It's not, it's not I just figured this out. It is, it is uh, 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 completely unreasonable. Um, uh, by nature, we want to live. Do you know that? By nature. Try to hold your breath underwater. You will come out of the water. Because by nature, you want to breathe. You want to live. Now, I gave you some statistics last week. And I told you that 507 people committed suicide back in 2012. I don't know why the statistics office only releases that three years later, you know. We're three years behind, but that's the latest information, 507. And what was shocking to me was Cork City has the highest rates in all of Ireland. Men are five times more prone to commit suicide than women here in Ireland. And that's generally all over the world. And especially men under 30. But here's the striking thing. When you start talking about suicide, the problem is that somebody, it's not that somebody considers suicide. <gasps> You're thinking about suicide? No. As I'll say, a lot of people... Just think about quitting life. It's just one of those stupid passing thoughts that go through your mind. But it's not that people com uh, consider suicide. The problem is that most people have no other alternative. It's the only thing they can come to. It's the only thing they can finally conclude. I guess I ought to end it all. So, uh, we reviewed some questions that we're going to try to answer tonight. I gave you some questions last week. I gave you seven examples of suicide in the Bible. There was Abimelech and Samson and King Saul and others. I showed you six examples of people who just who couldn't bring themselves to try to kill themselves, but they still wanted to die. Which is and these were these were amazing, godly people. Job, Job's wife, Elijah, Moses. I showed you last week that 
there are some pe- there are there are some reasons why some people seek to die. I not an exhaustive list of why, but some people actually commit suicide based on their feedback on Facebook. Some people have committed suicide based on the fact that their best friend left them, or maybe their girlfriend dropped them. Uh, uh, there's there are loads of reasons, and you'd say, well, there's there's. There's got to be one big reason. Now there's all kinds of different reasons, and you can try to boil it down, but I want to say this. It all comes back to the heart and having no hope. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 8, if you will, in your Bible. Proverbs chapter 8, and as I said last week, I want to talk about our culture, not just of death, but our culture of suicide. Proverbs chapter 8, we live in a culture that thinks a lot about death. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 36. And if you will, look in verse 35. Really, this whole set of chapters, chapter 7 and chapter 8, is wisdom. And, and, and man looking for wisdom. And, and this is not just any kind of wisdom. This is the wisdom that comes from God. In verse uh, 35... For whoso findeth me, speaking of finding wisdom in God, finding a way of understanding things, if you find me, God says, you'll find what? And shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me, turning your back on me, fighting me, wrongeth his own soul. And they that hate me, God says, love what? Love death. There are consequences for our modern culture. Uh, there are so many things that are making people today strong enough to commit suicide. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. There are things that actually will drive people to want to commit suicide, but Ephesians chapter 4, there, e- there are things that will enable people to carry it out. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Be ye angry, and what? All right. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the killer, to the thief, to the destroyer. Anger in the home will empower, which is crazy. Go to Philippians. I'll show you something of what we're supposed to be like. Go to the next book. Philippians chapter 1. Is it chapter 1? Where's that verse that talks about among whom you shine as as bright lights? Is it 3? Thank you. Chapter 3. Oh, 2. Thank you. Chapter 2. All right. Look in in verse... Verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't talk about work at your salvation. It means get it out into your, 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 your voice. Get it out into your actions. Work it out so it's not just kept inside. Verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and, what's the next word? That's arguing. Do things without arguing. That you may be blameless and harmless. 
The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Anger in the home is the opposite of that. You want to have a strong home? Have a very weak ability to get angry. Keep it so that there's just no desire to fight. Because the moment that you get into the anger and, and it just holds, who's right there in the door right behind you coming in there? The one who wants to destroy you. We have a culture of suicide that uh, uh, is, is, strengthened, is strengthening people's ability and their resolve. Uh, so we have a culture of, uh, that, that, in, that strengthens and encourages and enables people to kill themselves. I, uh, I found a lot of research that talked about the problem. It's finally being admitted. The problem with violent and extreme sports. You say, what, what, are, what are violent and extreme sports? Well, if, if you think back in the years when, when Christians were being slaughtered in the Colosseum, that was, a, that was a family picnic to them. They went to go and watch such violence. And yet here we are today and the same thing's going on. And people love to watch. Oh, did you see, man? He knocked him straight down. Sports, and I'm talking about brutal sports, like American football is... You know, these guys are so well padded and there's, there's, they have so many breaks and so many things because it is brutal. Uh, there are people, you know what that is? That's called bungee jumping. And they say there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe there's not for you. For, but you know what you're doing? When, you, when you're deciding, I'm going to jump off, you're playing with death. You're trying to convince yourself, I'm not going to die. But your, but your mighty heart's going to say, this is stupid, okay? Now, you know, probably 99.9% .9 of them are safe, but I would get the one that's not safe. You know that. <laughs> Oops, it broke. But do you see, people play with death. How about these idiots? I mean, that's a breathtaking view, but I'm not going there. Our culture is they play with death. There's no, no uh, what's that, uh, safety harness or anything. They used to, back in the 1920s and 1930s, there were wing walkers. There were even people that played tennis over the wing and stuff like that. They courted with death. Now you say that's not, that's just nothing, it was just in the movies. But it's a big thing today to push the envelope, to do things that terrify normal people. <clears throat> that was Eric in a younger age. <laughs> he has no way to support himself or protect him. If he loses his grip, he is dead. And yet they do it. It is, it is a, you know, it's a mark of success. Then you have these guys. You know what that is? It's called a wingsuit. And if you haven't watched the YouTubes of these guys flying at 100 miles an hour, downhills at incredible speeds and maybe even faster, and, and they are courting death, and even the most proficient, the most well-trained, die. There's no, there's just like, whoops, so-and-so, man, they've been doing this for 17 years, and never had an accident, and they're gone. Now, I'm not saying that it should not ever be done. My, my point is, we're in a culture where everybody wishes they could do it. They watch it, they watch it, they watch it. Some people do it, and it creates a culture of suicide. 
our, our sports now, people sit and they watch hours, if not hundreds of hours, of violent sport. This is mixed boxing. They, they, these guys are punching and kicking and killing one another. Mixed martial arts, they call it. And then, if you're really into it, you're, you're, you're chasing bulls and bulls chasing you. And they, they, they think that, oh, this is great, this is cool. Now, violent extreme sports is, is something that we're just used to being entertained by. But let me tell you, it does prepare people for pushing the envelope of where death is. They don't, they, and I'm going to say this, I'm, I'm going to say this in, in a few minutes, but it makes people think that I'm invincible. I won't die. Violent video games and books, now we've had that problem since the 1970s. I mean, it used to be Pong, remember? That's how it started, you know, the, the computer uh, uh, technology and all of this explosion began with Pong. And now it is violent in the, the type of books on violence. It makes people numb about dying and about death, making death a game. There's also death music. I mean, there's a genre called death music that really has people, they don't even, they're not even there. And they just, uh, when you listen to Eminem and he's talking about putting his mother into the car boot, driving the car off the cliff into the water, what is that doing to a generation? Metallica, death music. Uh, I hate piercings. I have this nasty habit. It's terrible, but I'll pass by somebody and you'll see somebody. And they pass by, I always go, ouch. I know somebody's going to slap me one of these days, but it just is, it's just, there is something that's going on, it's demonic, that is, is pushing for pain, enjoying pain. Now, um, there's also the, it's just, some people just constantly like to get into physical fights, and they, they go out looking for physical fights. It is our culture. Now maybe, hopefully, you're kind of separated from that. You don't believe it. But in our, in our day and age, uh, if, you, if you ever had to go to the A&E at, at midnight on Friday night, you'd know there's a whole other culture out there. And that culture is very violent. And it's a culture of death. To the Bible believer, though, all of those are doorways for Satan to plant his demonic time bombs for suicide. Better prepare the person to be able to carry out the idea. Now, you know, there's, there's big pushes for taking kids off the street and getting them into boxing clubs and making men out of them. And I understand all that. That's not the problem. There is something about men being able to handle, you know, uh, risk and, and pain and stuff. But this is a love of pain. This is a disregard for life. How many of you ever watched these stupid YouTubes of kids doing stupid things? And they're very proud of it. A child, a, a, a 12-year-old child, will come running off of a, of a, of a, um, of a roof and, and he'll leap off trying to get into a swimming pool and miss the pool. But he's on YouTube. He wants to be virally seen all over the world. What are they doing? They're playing with death. And they think they're invincible. 
And the most awful thing is this now moved to where women, now we already knew they were better fighters, but there is a push, and it's, I think it's wicked, I think it's of the devil, that girls think that it is their domain to, to have boxing and to get into combat and to go into places where death, whereas used to be men died to protect women from that type of a risk. Now, let's look at Acts chapter 1, and I want you to show, I want to show you an example of suicide. We'll look at just one of them, and that's Judas Iscariot. Acts chapter 1 and verse 16. Acts chapter 1 and verse 16 says this, Men and brethren... This is Peter speaking. This scripture must needs have been fulfilled by the Holy Ghost. Sorry. This scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered. Now watch these words. He was numbered with us. He was one of the twelve. He had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of his iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called by the proper, in their proper tongue, Aseldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric, his ministry, let another take. So, when we talk about Judas... We're talking about somebody who was handpicked by Jesus. Judas didn't sneak in, didn't creep in like it says there in Jude. Jude says, beware of some people who creep in unawares and they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. There are people who sneak into churches and they claim to be saved. They claim to be all kinds of things and they're frauds. But Judas was handpicked by Jesus. He was very religious. He was a follower, a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. He watched and he learned everything that Peter did. Everything Peter watched, Judas saw. He was given all the powers that all the other 11 disciples got. When, when Peter could go and could heal, Judas could go and heal. He had all those same powers. But Matthew now, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Judas never got converted. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Just because somebody has miraculous power proves nothing. Just because somebody can preach proves nothing. Just because somebody can walk on water proves nothing. Jesus says these words in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, told prophecies, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. We did miracles. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Here, if Judas, you got to understand, was saved and lost it, he would have been able, Jesus would be saying, I used to know you, but now I don't. But that's not what Jesus said. 
If somebody claims to have all of these powers, doesn't prove they ever know me. What proves that you know me is that you do my will. So who was Judas? He was unconverted. He was obsessed. John chapter 12 says he was obsessed with power and the money of the ministry. He was a thief. He held the bag. He always pocketed as much as he could out all the money that was given, quote, to the poor. He was obsessed with the power and the money of the ministry. And over that, John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 7. He was a devil. John chapter 6 and verse 70 says this. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? It doesn't say that he had a devil. It says he was a devil. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and verse 3. Luke 22, in verse 3, Then entered Satan into who? Into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way. He communed with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad, and they covenanted to give him money. And he, and he promised and sought opportunity to betray Jesus unto them in the absence of the multitude. Satan entered into him. And he actually did betray Jesus to the Pharisees. For just a little bit of money. 30 pieces of silver wasn't a lot of money. But Judas was happy for it. But let me say this. None. See, this is right. None of any of that caused Judas to commit suicide. All of the above. Let me just say this. All of these things. His uh, religiousness. Uh, his powers. Um, his lostness, he, uh, his, his obsessiveness with money and the ministry, he being a devil himself, Satan entering into him, none of those things caused him to want to die. As a matter of fact, I know, uh, I know of uh, religious leaders who use their ministry to buy 39,000 euros worth of clothes at one store in a year, just for their own... And he actually was asked by the, by the tax man, said, why do you need 39,000 euros worth of car? And he says, my television ministry. <laughs> 39,000 euros worth of, worth, of, worth of clothes. He sent his two children on a 29,000 euro trip to the Bahamas. You see, there are, there are all of the characteristics that made Judas so that everybody thought he was a good guy. He was right with everybody else. Even though he had some bad things, none of that drove Judas to suicide, just like it doesn't drive some of these other nuts to suicide. What, causes, what caused Judas to seek death? Here's some important things. A realization of his personal responsibility. He came under condemnation. If you'll take your Bible now and turn to Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 27. Chapter 27, verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that Jesus was condemned, 
he repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple. He departed and went and he hanged himself. What caused Jesus, what caused Judas to seek death? He had an overwhelming sense of personal responsibility for Jesus' death. Um, guilt will kill you. You know, there was only one person in the Bible who could probably compare and relate to Judas, and that was David. But David wrote a psalm. If you remember, in Psalm 51, he's able to climb out of that pit, didn't he? He's able to, to cry out and say, Against thee and thee only have I done this wickedness in thy sight. And he, he has a way out. Judas doesn't. Judas had an overwhelming sense of personal responsibility. It's called condemnation. Secondly, he had overmuch guilt. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse 6. Second Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. Sufficient to such a man. And he's referring to a man who had been living in sin. He had been living with his father's wife. He had, he had been put out of the church. And he said, sufficient to such a man is this punishment that you did. You put him out of the church. You put him out where Satan could get at him. Which was inflicted of many. So that contrary wise, what do they do now? He said, ye ought rather now to what? And comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Now we want, when somebody is in sin, when somebody has done wrong, when somebody has disobeyed, we want them to say, I did wrong. But there is a danger where we say, go lower. And that fact sometimes can drive you to suicide. Judas felt not only condemnation, but he felt over much sorrow. Look in chapter 7 and verse 10. Still in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 7 and verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. You never want to go back. But the sorrow of the world works what? Worketh death. Be careful that anybody puts you under a guilt trip so much so that it's killing you. You better find a way out of that thing. You better find a, 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 a way to find forgiveness. Even if that other person doesn't give you forgiveness, you better be able to find forgiveness and be able to say, I can't live under my guilt. I must find forgiveness because guilt will kill you. Matthew, back there in chapter 27 as far as Judas is concerned, there was no forgiveness available. He went to the priest, and what did the priest say? What is that to us? See you to it. They turned him away. The very ones who claimed to be able to absolve sin turned Judas away. As far as Judas is concerned, there was no forgiveness for him, which led to another point. There's no hope for him. Do you know, while he was sitting there under the weight of what he had allowed himself to do. And by the way, he had a choice in it, just like you and I do. There is, there is no reason to think that he was a robot. He's just walking around. No. 
he was condemned because he yielded to the work of sin. There he was, with all his guilt and his inability to get forgiveness, and who was dead as far as he was, was responsible? Jesus. He has no hope. He has killed the King of Glory. He has, he has betrayed him. He has done everything imaginably wrong. And the only person who could save him was now dead. How do you think he felt? No hope. Absolutely no hope. As far as Judas was concerned, there's no resurrection. I killed him. It's over. Can you see what his next step is? I got to go kill myself. That is the way the devil works in people's lives. They will find themselves, they may act happy, but on the inside, they are dying under the condemnation. There is an important value to knowing you're guilty. But there is a deadly value to never being forgiven. The Catholic Church, 50 years ago, was very good at making sure everybody felt guilty. Would you agree? I mean... There's nothing you did that was right. Amen? You felt guilty all the time. You know what that did? It ruined people's lives. Guilt is not meant to be the end. You get guilty so that you come to get forgiveness and you get restoration. That's why Jesus came. That's what the church is about. The church is preaching good news, not just condemnation. Yes, people need to know they're lost, they're guilty. But how dare we say, you deserve hell. Sit we leave them. As far as Judas is concerned, there's no hope. No wonder Satan got into him. No wonder Satan got into him. Now, was, was Judas a believer? No. He was who Jesus referred to as the faker, who could point to his ministry and could point to the fact he could prophesy, could point to the fact that he could do all these things and Jesus would have to say, I never knew you. But what drove him to suicide is still very active today. Folks, whether people admit it or not, when you're giving the gospel at school to somebody and they just laugh and they go, you're a, you're a nothing. In their heart of hearts, you know what they know? under the wrath of God. Whether anybody admits it or not, whether they're white, black, European, or Chinese, or African, or Martian, they don't exist. Everybody knows they're guilty. Their conscience has it. What drove and what dry what drove Judas to suicide is still at work today over much guilt and sorrow. And as far as people are concerned, when they go to church, you know what? They know nothing of forgiveness in Christ. They have no hope. What has been done today is they've taken away the resurrection. How many people preach that Jesus is alive? How many people say, I talked to him this morning? Very few. So what do people have? No hope. And really it leads to where our generation and our culture... He's totally manipulated by Satan. Let me tell you the seven lies of suicide. These are only seven. But you kind of, you do some studies and you kind of summarize these things. There are seven very powerful lies that have to be worked out in your head. And you go, this is what people are thinking when you're giving them the gospel. Or when you find out somebody's even contemplating the gospel, contemplating suicide. 
<clears throat> Sometimes you're dealing with somebody who may be on the very edge. And they won't admit it. I can tell you story after story after story, and I don't have time, maybe another time, but of, of uh, pastors that I've read and even some that I know who have found themselves at the door talking to somebody and finding out they had a gun right there ready to blow their brains out. And God brought them to that door and sat down with them and showed them forgiveness and showed them that Christ did it all. So all you have to do is come to Christ and believe. All you have to do is receive the gift and He will give you forgiveness. He will take away the guilt and the shame. He'll take away the past. He'll give you nothing but heaven and a home and, and, and the family of God. He, he makes you His child and you're accepted of the beloved. And that person points and pushes and says, will you take this? Because I, I was about to use it before you showed up at my house. It, 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 you, there are, there are um, so many people we find ourselves and we think oh well, they're not interested they may not know anything else and you may be their only hope to knowing there's another choice so seven lies the first lie is people who talk about suicide won't really do it that's a lie um, <clears throat> when somebody talks about suicide Take it seriously, all right? I, uh, I know the most dangerous people with suicide don't talk about it. They just go and do it. Those are the most dangerous. That happens. But just because people talk about it doesn't mean that they're not going to do it at the right point. If they keep talking about it, as a man thinks it's in his heart, as he thinks it's in his heart, so is he. You keep thinking about it, keep thinking about it, guess what? You're going to do it. So don't believe that lie. Secondly, Life is, the lie is that life is not worth all the pain being experienced. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Sometimes when you go through enough pain, enough sorrow, you think, I've had enough. And that's a lie. I'll talk about that. Suicide for a lot of people is the end of all their problems. Did you know what? That's a lie. As a matter of fact, whatever problems you have now are nothing compared to hell. Nothing compared to going off into eternity. Suicide will be easy or painless. I'll just pop all these pills. Again, I'm going to say this. It is never easy to end your life. Oh, I'll just go to sleep and never wake up. Doesn't happen like that. Everyone would be better off if I was dead. That's a lie. I don't care if they hate you. If you die, they'd miss you. No one understands, and no one cares, no one can help me. Jesus cares. Jesus understands, and he can't help you. Death is the end of existence, and that's where we're at today. There's no life after death. Of course they're going to consider suicide. If there is no life after death for them, if there is no ongoing soul, they're going to believe that lie. If I, just, if I just die, it's over with. Right. Now, the biblical and real truths about suicide are breathtaking. Number one, there is no easy way to die. You want to fall on a sword? Go ahead and try. <laughs> You'll prop that sword up, you go... You can't do it, man. I mean, just fall on a sword, man. It's just, that's why Saul said to his, his armor, he said, kill me, because it is very hard to kill yourself. Take a bunch of pills. You want to go out into eternity convulsing, choking? Gunshot to the head? Think about what 
is, is, is going on inside. If I just use this gun, point the gun, and just pull the trigger, it'll all be over. Do you realize what you're doing? There is no easy way to die. Well, I'll just jump off a cliff. Do you know, it's not the fall. That's the problem. It's the sudden stop at the end. You have no idea. There was a, I hate saying some of these things. There's a guy who was one of these para, parachutists. What is he? Not a paratrooper. They have those paraglider. And he got on, uh, used to be illegal. Now he kind of just turned another eye. Uh, but this guy got on one of these large dams in America. And, and they didn't have many suits at that point, but this was years ago. And he jumped 300 feet. He pulled the cord, but the parachute went up and he got all tangled up. He's falling 300 feet. He's got six, seven seconds before his cord. So he pulls the second cord. Nothing happens. Boom! He hits the ground. Now he's got one of those red cans on. You can hear it. And he's gurgling, and he's showing the breathe, and he's crying out. Is that how you want to go out? There is no easy way to die. We're meant to live forever. That's a Bible truth. We are meant to live forever. Somebody said, I wouldn't want to live forever with the pain I've got. You don't have to. That's why God gave us death. It is a gift. When God said that I'm going to have... Adam, Eve, you're going to have to die. It was so that he could free them from this sin nature and from the curses of this life. And, and, and thank God. Death. And you, if you've ever gone to the hospital and you've seen somebody suffering, you'd say, death is a gift. But we were meant to live forever. One soul is of infinite value to God. That's a Bible truth. One soul. Not, not the good people, not the important people, not the wealthy people, not the people uh, who win the Oscars. But one soul is of infinite value. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 in verse 26. What shall it, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's nothing you can, you can grab, buy, exchange for the value of your soul. Jesus said this, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? Now how much is a farthing? That's like a quarter of a penny. Five sparrows were sold for two farthings. Not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. All numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than so many sparrows. Suicide. Hey, suicide gets people's attention and is newsworthy. You know why? Why is it newsworthy if somebody kills themselves? Because life is precious. Because we all feel that shouldn't have happened. Fourthly, what you're going through does matter to God. Have you ever heard the verse that says, for he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Whatever you go through touches him. I don't know if you understand that, but a woman crawled through a crowd 
She couldn't even stand. She was so bent over with weakness. She had a, she had a blood uh, hemorrhage for years. And there she crawled up and she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. And when she just touched, she didn't even touch his, his leg or his shoe. She just barely touched the hem of his garment. Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? She's terrified. Am I in trouble? You know, you say, I could just get God's attention. You got it. There's never a time that you don't have his complete attention. What you're going through does matter to God. You say, it doesn't seem like it. Well, welcome to the club. We're going to talk about suffering in a moment. He is so deeply touched by whatever you're going through that the Bible says it becomes his pain. I have to just tell you, I'll head to, to, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, whatever your pain you're going through, come on, nod your head, whatever pain you're going through is not what you could be going through if he didn't protect you. He will not suffer you to be tempted, pressurized, crushed, above that year able. Whatever you're going through matters to God. Number fifthly, thanks partner. It is always Satan that tries to, commit, to get us to commit suicide. That thought of committing suicide didn't come from you. Whenever somebody thinks of dying, thinks of killing themselves, let me tell you where that thought came from. Let me tell you where that thought came from. By the way, I mean, he's cute, but the devil likes to get your attention off of this point. Whenever something goes through your head, and sometimes you go, where'd that come from? If it's, a con if it's contemplating suicide, it always and only comes from one person. That's the devil. God didn't give that, give that thought to you. You didn't even come up with it. No man yet ever hated himself, the Bible says. Well, I hate myself. Because Satan convinced you you're worth hating. God didn't give that to you. You didn't even naturally figure it. Number six. Suicide is the ultimate thief. Suicide is the ultimate thief. Suicide robs you of the future that God had planned for you. You have no idea what God has just five years down the line. You end it now and Satan has robbed you of what that was. He robs your family of you. He robbed, Satan robs society of all you could do. I think of the 55 million unborn babies that were aborted in America over the last some odd 30, 40 years, I think of the 60 million who've been slaughtered in Europe, the 90 million in China. You know how many cures to cancer have been lost because we killed the scientists who could have come up with it? Think about it. Suicide's the ultimate thief. You know what? It robs churches. It robs churches of all the ways that you could minister like no one else will ever be able to. There are people in this room right now who you say, how could God ever use me? Whatever sorrow, whatever burden, whatever brokenness you experience, that will minister and help somebody else that I could never minister to. Because you know what it feels like. You know how God got you through. And I can talk about it, but you are proof of it. You understand what I'm saying? And when the devil convinces you to pull out to quit on God, to quit on life, that robs a church of somebody who could minister like nobody else could. Suicide is eternal regret. 
They did. They collected a lot of information. 85% of people who were resuscitated after attempted hangings or maybe their stomach got pumped out and they tried to, to, uh, to commit suicide by taking pills, 85% of people that were resuscitated after suicide attempts report actually being glad to be back alive. They regretted what they did. See, when you commit suicide, you've got to understand, when somebody commits suicide, they will live with that regret for eternity. Saved or lost. Suicide is not an end, by the way. Every death plunges us not into nothingness. That's what Hindus believe. Oh, I've got to escape the cycle of life. What? I want to go off into nothingness. Well, it's not a plunge into nothingness, but into the endless consequences of how we have treated the precious gift of our earthly life. Death is, is a one-way trip to an endless time to which regret, to either we regret or we rejoice in our earthly actions. You know what the Bible says? Fear not them that kill the body, but fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell. You better not worry about whatever you're going through and worry about death in this life because if it does if you don't get this thing fixed if, if somebody if somebody's talking about suicide and they're quite at peace with it you need to tell them that's not the end you may think well I finally settle it uh, somebody may say I finally settle it I'm, I'm gonna just just uh, uh, you know uh, I'm sending you this text to say I'm through don't try to contact me you need to turn her back and say it's not finished when you when you close your eyes in death you will regret what you're about to do for all eternity. Um, the most successful, even happy of people can find themselves thinking of suicide. I, I, um, um, suicide is not just really a sickness of bad people with guilty consciences. People who just experience normal life with all its twists and turns and troubles, including a believer, Contemplate suicide. Listen to these words that I found online. They're very common words. They, they repeat themselves with different words all the time, but this is the same theme. This woman wrote, I have reached the end. I cannot take any more. I know that Christ died on the cross and he rose in three days. I love the Lord with all my heart. I just can't handle this life anymore. I have told people about my Jesus. I pray my kids and my grandkids are saved and will go to heaven. But I cannot take this life anymore. Life is not worth what I have to go through the way anymore. When you love God so much and he seems to never help you, oh, God knows my heart and my love for him. I will always love him, but I do not want to live. That's how somebody felt. You say, I would never feel like that. Uh, give it a couple of years. Don't for a moment think that no believer would ever think like that. No believer would ever wrongly take a life. Moses tried to. Moses wanted to. David wanted to. Don't think the devil won't work you over so much that he'll convince you to take your own life just like he did King Saul. One last truth, biblical truth about about suicide and, and the actual truth that I found, some addictions really are people just trying. They may, they're addicted, but it is a slow form of suicide. They're just wishing for that overdose. They're always playing on that edge. 
and you really would be welcome. And I know somebody right now, and there was a funeral just a, several months back. We kept playing on the edge, and we went over the edge. Addictions oftentimes are just slow form of suicide. Now, the only answer, and I wrap it up with one, but there's a couple of things I'm going to talk about. The only answer to suicide is not found in your life. It's not found in fixing your life. It's not found in, in, in trying to modify your life, trying to move home or trying to, to win the lottery and trying to find a new girlfriend. It's living a whole different life. John chapter 1, if you would. Let's look at a couple of different scriptures. You know 1010, but John chapter 1. In verse 4. Well, no, verse 1 to 4. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The only answer to the desire for death is another life. You see, when you get to the place where you want to end your life, you need to make a decision. Carry through or swap it out. I think sometimes the devil ought to be proven that when he's brought somebody so close to death, I think God will bring the Christian alongside at that very time and show them there's another way. And that's through Jesus Christ. In him is life. Isn't that wonderful? Maybe that doesn't blow you away, but that just blows me away. That's how powerful those words are. For somebody who's thinking about death, to hear from somebody saying, in Jesus is life. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that you might have life. And that more abundant. So get the Son. First John. First John chapter 5. I love this verse. First John chapter 5. Verse 11. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11. And this is the record that God has given to us what kind of life? Eternal life. And this life is in His Son. And He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God, no wonder they want to die. Because they have not life. So get born again. Every man, woman, and child needs a new birth. I don't care if they're thinking about suicide or not. Suicide is a very extreme. I know we're talking about an extreme situation. But it is, it is something that's in our culture and our... Listen, the, the culture has influenced children. Every man, woman, and child needs a new birth. And I believe the new birth is the exact opposite of suicide. And instead of taking a life, why don't you get a new one? We all need a life that is bigger better, stronger, able to carry you when, you're, when you fall and you're overwhelmed. And that life is not found in a friend. That life is not found in a buddy. That life is not found in a marriage partner. That life is not found anywhere else except in Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Go back to the left. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. Paul was so delighted with how God gave him a calling, and his calling was, he says, verse 25, I made a minister. I just give 
according to the dispensation of God, what God gave me, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to all saints, to whom God would make known to everybody, that God would make known what is the richest of the glory of this mystery, this mystery among the Gentiles. What is the mystery, Paul? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You ever want hope of heaven? Get Jesus Christ. He is your hope. What am I saying? Get the Son. Jesus changes your life. He not only changes your life, He changes your view of death. Go to Philippians. You're in Colossians. Go back a few pages to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20. Listen to Paul. Uh, last 10 years of Paul's life, do you know where he spent most of his time? In jail. In prisons. I'll give you one guess what kind of life that was in a Roman prison. Miserable, cold, damp. Your pets were rats. There were no toilets. Only sores, only uh, disease, the worst of food. I'd want to die, wouldn't you? God, just, just, just kill me now. I, I reread a, a brief excerpt, uh, excerpt of my favorite missionary. His name is Adonai Judson. When he was in Burma back in the eight, early 1800s, they, because he was white, because he was American, the Burmese thought he was British, which is a real slam. I don't understand it. Anyway, uh, and they threw him in jail. But their jail, their prison was worse than where you would put an animal. And he was in that prison for almost seven years. And there in this hole in the ground with no window. I used to think, I, I thought he had a window, but I reread it. There was no window. His wife would have to bribe the guards just to go and whisper through a, 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 a passageway so that she could try to encourage him. But there he was. And you know what he prayed when he was in there? With sores and, and, and disease racking him. He was so weak. You know, he prayed, God, would you just get it over with? Just kill me. I understand that. But I want you to show this. I want to show you something. Look at Paul. Verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my, what's the next word? Boy, I wish you took this to the limit and you realized Paul had hope. That in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or even by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now that's, that's very appropriate. I would agree with that. But look what he says on. He says, but if I live in the flesh, if I continue to live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. What I shall choose, I what I know not. I'm in a strait betwixt two decisions. Having desired to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh, to stay in prison, is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. What does he want? What did he, what did he want to happen? He wanted to die. He wanted to be sensitive to someone to die. 
to go and be with Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is a prayer. But I'll stay. You see, salvation changes you so that you don't take your life. And you get that balance in your head. You say, I may, I may want to die. And I'm ready to die. But I'll stay if that's God's will. Amen? Whether it's in a hospital, whether it's in a miserable situation, I want Christ to be more magnified by my life and by my death. That is a, so that's what happens when you get the sun. Suffering takes on a different meaning. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, down to verse 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to what? To suffer for his sake. You going through some suffering? You've got things just making your life miserable. Amen. Hallelujah. So be it. You know, oftentimes the hard times in, in, in our lives, the hard times in other people's lives, when things may seem hopeless, they really are opportunities for somebody who's at the end of their rope to finally get saved. I think, Brother Dan, I'm dealing with people who aren't at the end of their rope yet. And you wonder, where are the people ready to get saved? I don't know how low they have to go, but maybe they have to go lower. Sometimes you come along and you see somebody and... and and he's still drinking, still going to the drugs, and you try to give him the gospel, pushes you away, you say, he's got to go a little lower, doesn't he? Got to let him, that's where we're at. At some point, the disasters, we can't just bail everybody out. We just got to be there when they're ready to look up. Secondly, walk in that newness of life. Romans chapter 6, back to Romans chapter 6. In verse 4. Therefore we are buried, speaking of our salvation, when we were buried with him by baptism, not water baptism, but our salvation. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into what? Hey, when you got saved, you already experienced death. A part of you died. The old man died. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should now walk how? In a whole new life, in the newness of life. And I use and I pull it over the big word walk. That means live it. Just keep walking, man. Just keep walking, just keep going. That's life in the Spirit. You see, it's not very exciting. Yeah, but it's life. I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of people... Comparing churches and trying to find, well, this is not as exciting. Your music's not as exciting. And, you know, uh, this is not, Christianity just doesn't have the buzz. It doesn't have to have buzz. It has to have life. And when you get saved, you're all washed and clean. I mean, you wouldn't ever want to get back. It just, just amazes me. Walk. Stay in the newness of life. Third, walk circumspectly. Ephesians talks about, chapter 4 talks about when you're walking, keep your eyes open. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, still seeking whom he may devour. You see, I'm saved, Pastor. The devil should leave me alone. And you are his enemy number one now. So you walk circumspectly, you redeem the time, you don't waste the time, you realize 
You know, if I'm not, if I don't have, I just wish this was a Sunday morning preaching message because I'm, our biggest failure is in our walk with God. That we get up, go through days, weeks, and we don't walk with Jesus. And who's crawling around waiting for you to fall back, waiting for you to tire out, wore out, stop, and then you're gone. Be sober. Walk, circum you know, circumspectly means just keep your head like that radar on top of a ship, you know? That thing's just looking for enemy vessels coming out. Rest in Christ's care. You know, God promises never to allow anything into your life that will be more than you can handle. I bet you don't believe that. Because that'll be tested. You say, Lord, it sure feels like I can't handle it. But he promises. So you can rest in his care. And that means believe God. Paul is on a ship. It's sinking in the middle of the ocean, of the, of the Mediterranean Sea. And you know what he says? We're going to be all right. <laughs> How can you say that, Paul? Because I believe God. Hey, Paul could have said, give me a rope. I don't, I don't want a shark to eat me. I don't, I don't want to drown. I eat, I just give me a rope. Let me, let me. He could have said that. He said, no, we're going to be all right. God takes care of his children. Amen. You know, there's just something about you walk with Christ, you can rest in his care. And look forward to dying. But we're ready to stay as long as God wills it. I read a story, I think it was Linda Ravenhill or A.W. Tozer. One of these guys said these words. He says, as long as I'm doing God's will, I am invincible. Now what he meant by that was, as long as God needs me, the devil cannot hurt me. I'm going to make sure I stay right in the middle of God's will so he always needs me as long as possible. <laughs> and that was a good words. I, I, if, if, if the Lord wants me to stay around, I want to stay right in the middle of God's will so that it's his time, his way that I go out. Brother Dan, what do you think? You and I, how do you think we want to go out? Behind the pulpit. Preaching some lost sinners and watching somebody weeping and saying, God have mercy on me to save me. And then we just drop dead on the spot and go straight on into heaven rejoicing. Wouldn't that be awesome? Woo! Amen. You know, Brother... Uh, uh, Buddy Blanco almost got one of those things. He went on with the. Uh, he got up, got ready to preach, and then dropped dead right. <laughs> he was dead for twenty minutes, and he's still a, he's still a miracle. But you know what he said? He said it was the way I wanted to go out. He said, "Then God gave me another chance." He said, "I'm preaching more than ever because if I'm going out, I'm going to always be right behind that pulpit." Anyway. <clears throat> Lastly, just do just obey God. Um, I know I'm talking to you and yet I'm trying to get it in your mind that you look at somebody and you say, you know what? Going through a hard time. Do things God's way and see if your life changes. I'm not going to guarantee that you're going to have a great life and all your problems are going to go away. But you know what? When you submit to God, you can resist the devil and what will the devil do? He will flee. Whatever the devil is convincing somebody, whether they're saved or lost, just look into their eyes and say, just do what God asks. He knows the right way. And if you do His will, you just obey God. Your life's a whole lot better. I tell you what, I wouldn't trade. Uh, they're still looking for somebody who, who won a 66 million euro, euro ticket. 
They're still looking for him. I'm trying to figure out how to put my name in the basket. There, no. Um, they're still looking for that person. Um, that's not going to make their life much better. People are thinking, boy, if, I could, if, if only I was the one that won that. No. They think that that's the way to make a life better. It may change their life. But here's the point. You want to have a better life? You want to have the ability to go to sleep at night, wake up, have your grandkids around you? Uh, uh, you want to have uh, rewards in heaven and, and joy for being obedient to God and, and, and just rejoicing in heaven over souls saved and just things just going great and, and uh, just for God? You want to have all that? Do things God's way. If you start changing the, the, the program, start doing it your way, you'll be miserable. Conclusion. We've looked at several hard questions. Why do people seek to God? There are eight big reasons why people seek to die. What is God's view on suicide? It is murder. It's, it's not a way out. It's not you dealing with your problem. It is you are killing yourself. What are the effects of suicide? Well, it affects you. <laughs> it affects you. You're dead. It affects you. Amen. <laughs> That was a good joke there. It affects your family, and it affects God. Look at Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel 33. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel 33, and verse 11. And the Lord is telling Ezekiel to... Quite loudly say these words. Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I don't want a wicked man to commit suicide. I don't want a wicked man to die. That's what God said. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? What does suicide affect? It affects God. God didn't want you to think that. God doesn't want your, your cousin or your brother or family member to think about it. Do unsaved people kill themselves? Do only unsaved people kill themselves? No. King Saul did it. You know what the Bible says? He was going to where his son Jonathan was and where Samuel was. He wasn't going to hell. King Saul was just devoured by the same Satan who's trying to devour you. Is suicide the ultimate sin? And I have to remind you, no. Do you know what the ultimate sin is? Are you ready? Unbelief. That is the only top sin to worry about. Why do people go to hell? Not because they're murderers, not because they're drunkards, not because they're, they're politicians. Because of unbelief. Suicide is not the ultimate sin. You know, they used to do this. Catholic Church was very cruel. If somebody commits suicide, they would bury it. Or if they did, they buried their face down. Trying to say, well, they're not even in heaven. Let me tell you this. If the church has to tell you where they are, you can ignore the church. I'll follow the Bible. You have no idea what some people go through. What determines whether you go to heaven or hell, not whether you commit suicide, what determines whether you go to heaven or hell is whether you believe on Jesus Christ. How do you defeat suicidal thoughts and desires? We went through those things. You need a new birth. You need a new walk. 
And if you just get so low and so down and depressed and you're saved and you get these things coming through your mind, you need your defenses up. You know how to get your defenses up? A walk, a daily, passionate, hour-long, two-hour-long walk with Jesus Christ. Hey, how much time did Peter spend with Jesus? Three and a half years. And didn't the devil still get it? You better put some time in it. If you've ever thought about suicide or struggling with it right now, if you know anybody who's talking talk about suicide, don't ignore them. Pray for them. You may need to fast for them. Some, some things, some kinds only come by prayer and fasting. Somebody who's going through suicide before you just go and say, I know how to help you. Don't walk in like that. <laughs> you better pray and fast and then go in there and listen to them and minister the word of God. If you ever think about it, talk to somebody. Somebody may, somebody may freak out, but I will you get you a good friend where you say, you know, I've hit the wall and I thought about suicide and that stuff goes around the side of my head. You know, you need somebody to talk to because if you don't talk to them, you don't talk to somebody, the devil will work that thing and work that thing and keep it as a grip on your heart. And you need to let it go. Father, I ask that you would um, just take this a very serious subject, I know. We looked at Judas could have looked at any number of, of other people. Conditions are pretty well the same. No hope. Condemnation. Overwhelming understanding of just how responsible somebody is for the failure and the hurt in somebody else. Massive amount of rejection and, and, and hurt by other people. All these things pile on top of already fragile heart. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if Bible-believing churches realize just how serious it is that we gather together and we pray for our country? Wouldn't it be wonderful, God, if you stirred in our hearts that we took it serious how, how, how closely we walked with you? Because our children are at stake. Our the people in our church are at risk. Our families are at risk by attack. We may think, so-and-so, there's there nobody in our church that would ever contemplate such a thing. How little we realize. Just how active and how powerful the devil is. He's not a powerful without his lies. Lord, I pray that our, the truth and some of the things that we got tonight would break our heart. And we'd take this thing very seriously. Not so frivolously. We wouldn't play with death. That we realize we've got an answer for it. Bless these people, God. Thank you for them being here tonight. Thank you we get to talk about these things and that we have a chance to make a difference. May we make a difference with such compassion. In Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't ask for any questions, but I'll entertain one or two real quick. If you've got a question about suicide, I know you want to go home. But, um, yes, sir. I have a question. It's just uh, from the last question you said, the addiction being a sort of form of suicide, but I never thought of that, but yeah, I agree 100%. Um, I've been into extreme sports, but uh, extreme sports people, what they do is they push it to the edge. And that's literally what it is. It's at the edge of either life or death. They only need to make one mistake and they're dead. And they know what they're doing. And they're still perfectly accepted. How do you plan to take it to the edge? If they make one mistake, they're dead. And I, I think really that's what extreme sports are about.
these are the words from some of the people like the, um, uh, the guys who climb up without any harnesses or anything. <laughs> Things that scare most people don't scare me. I can tolerate more pain than most people. These are the things they brag about. But they're pushing themselves to the very edge. But more than this, this generation that we're living in is constantly being pumped up to be strong enough. And they don't know why, but they're being pumped up to be strong enough to follow through and to get themselves to swallow an entire bottle of pills, ingest a bottle of poison, or be able to push a chair out so they can dangle from a rope tied to the ceiling. It takes great courage to do that. And here they are pushing themselves so they don't fear death and so that they're not afraid. That's not a good place to be. Do you know what my mama told me? You go out on that street and you're dead! <laughs> I didn't know she was going to kill me. <laughs> but she put the fear of dying, going out, kicking the ball, going right out of the street, and a car will hit you and you will be dead. She drilled it and drilled it and drilled it. That's a good thing. A fear of death is a good thing. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I was just going to ask, like, I know that this might probably take a long time to explain, but you can give me a heads up. Mm. And that is the fact that um, Isaiah had already uh, prophesied about Judas. Mm. Not calling him Judas, but that whoever was going to betray Christ. Okay. So, um, Judas, there was no way Judas would have avoided this. He's already prophesied that whoever was going to do this, well, it was better that he was not born. Right. So now, I'm not saying that uh, Isaiah had already um, prescribed or prophesied that he was going to actually take his life, but it was inevitable that he was going to live. So now, whether it was going to be by suicide or whether someone was going to bomb him out, he was going to die. So how was Judas? Because if it wasn't a person whose name was Judas, <coughs> it was someone that was going to betray Christ. So That's right. somebody was going to die. So how was this, how is, how was Judas actually supposed to have avoided this? I'm not saying that he was supposed to avoid it, but I'll say this. Jesus, I was just looking for it. Jesus said, offenses must come, but woe unto him by whom they come. Now that is a very powerful statement that says, you know, the things that were prophesied are going to happen. Just make sure you're not the one fulfilling it. So Judas had a choice, okay, which is a blow-away. The point is, somebody was going to, one of Jesus' disciples was going to, going to uh, betray him. Jesus knew who it was. He didn't point and say, by the way, it's Judas. No, he let it all fall, follow through. But Judas opened himself up to demonic possession, opened himself up to satanic manipulation. He opened himself up to it. And when, when, when we try to understand that, we say, well, he was supposed to. Yes and no. Judas still had a free will. You notice when he tries to repent, doesn't he? I mean, if he was totally demon-possessed, totally satanic, he would never have gone to the priest and said, I repent. I, I, I killed the innocent one. No, there's a heart there. There's somebody struggling. What have I done? The question that, that needs to be asked is, where do people cross the line and get to where all of a sudden the inevitable takes place when there's no turning back? Okay? There is a line that people can cross 
where they can't come back. And that's the scariest line of all. Okay, but suppose they all have, suppose we had Judas and James and Smith and so on who were part of the disciples, you know, the team. Hmm. Somebody had to be true. That's right. That's so right. Mary, even if Judas had repented, then he would have skipped him. Yes. Still found Simon. Mm -hmm. So, because I have battled with this over the years, and mm -hmm. I'm saying to myself, I mean, he already, he already wanted someone. I mean, he had created someone mm -hmm. to betray him and put him in hell. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't, and you're now into things that are beyond our perfect understanding. But I'll just say this, you have answered it uh, with, with the fact that uh, if it wasn't Judas, it was going to be somebody else. So you have to leave it there and say, but Judas followed through, all he saw was the money bag. No matter how many teachings of Jesus, no matter how many times Jesus tried to say, I, I am going to be betrayed by one of you at the table. And Judas went, could it be me? And he could have said, it could be me. I, I, I'm the one doing it. He knows what I'm planning. And he didn't. It was after that that Satan entered him. Not before. Okay? My point is this. He was still very much human. He still had a free will. And when he committed suicide, it was for those reasons. Not because God killed him. Because Satan had fed a lie to him that Jesus was now dead and would not live again. Satan had fed a lie to him that there was no hope, that, that it was all Judas's fault. And that's what killed Judas. Judas came to the conclusion, I've got to kill myself. That's my only way out. And that was a lie. Okay? And that's, that's what we've got to be able to say to people because that's what you're dealing with. When you're dealing with somebody suicidal, they've already thought about it for weeks, months, maybe years. And you come along and say, Oh, don't worry about it. No, you're dealing with well-entrenched lies that Satan's planted into them. And you're going to have to untangle those lies with life and with another choice. So Judas had no alternative. In his mind, Jesus was dead. So how could he ever look to Jesus to forgive him? So he looked to the priest, and that was a dead end. So kind of a complicated question, but I think it's a very important one for people to ponder and say, you know what? Judas was not just, he is an, he is an unusual situation. But God gave us a lot of information about suicide through. And maybe it'll save somebody else who's believing the same lies. Alright, yes sir. Now I have no pity for him. I'm sorry. I'm not sitting there trying to pity Judas. I'm just trying to show you the humanity of Judas and that the decisions of Judas and they're playing people on the same track. I'm sorry, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. According to the Bible. Yes, sir. We believe that, I believe that myself, but when you commit suicide because of the wrong guns, the wrong things he's done, it's kind of admitting your guilt and remorseful. I didn't get into this, but when a person commits suicide, they're trying to take the place of Christ. There's three reasons why people commit suicide. One of them is they're trying to atone for their own sin. Now, there are some other reasons to try to make other people hurt for how they hurt them. So the, the one way that some people, could, when they commit suicide, they're trying to hurt the, the, the hurter. So I'm going to hurt you. You're going to remember that I died because of you. But Judas was trying to atone for his own sin by committing suicide. And, and that doesn't work. So Judas was never converted. Judas never got born again. 
Judas, as far as all the information, Judas killed himself because he had no hope. Now, the, the other question is, well, can a Christian ever get to that place? And my answer is yes, because you and I don't realize how powerful Satan is to even work on Christians. If you've never felt just the oppression of satanic attack, and how his whole desire is to get you to believe his lies, even after you're saved, he will convince you of the same lies that he's convinced Judas of. So yeah, Judas is in hell. As a matter of fact, he's in a worse place than hell. The Bible says he went to his own place, which is which is even crazy. We gotta stop there. You're dismissed. God bless you all. See you Wednesday night. Amen.